Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood Ghost Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Nadia is out today. Instead, joining me are... I'm Katie McCarthy, features editor at US Gamer. And I'm Eric Van Allen, news editor at US Gamer. And today we are going to be talking about romance in RPGs in honor of Fire Emblem Three Houses, which actually does not have very good romance in RPGs, but I feel like it's been a major topic of conversation. Yeah, it's. I feel like people are still talking about Fire Emblem like there is these big romances. Like people are saying, yeah, I want a romance, Claude. I'm joining Edelgard or the whatever house because I want a romance, Edelgard. I feel like people are still talking about three houses like the romances are how they were in awakening which is interesting because they're not that prominent in this game yeah no they totally scaled them back quite a bit so but at the same time uh still we're talking about and it made me think about how for some reason like looking through back through all 200 like 18 episodes of acts of the blood god somehow we've never actually talked about romances before and honestly, they're a big part of the RPG experience. So we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into various examples of romances and RPGs through the years, talking about kind of what makes a good romance mechanic in an RPG and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, I expect that we'll be talking a lot about Bioware, which is partly why I have Eric on here, because Eric is kind of the, the Bioware guy. <laughs> I am. I'm the resident expert of all things Bioware, especially when it comes to uh, both lauding and taking them to task over their romances, because Bioware somehow manages to be the best and worst about this at the exact same time in the exact same games. So uh, that'll be some good fodder. Yeah, you even have your own podcast about it. <laughs> yep. Normandy FM. Check us out. Uh, Twitter.com slash NormDFM show. It's a great, great podcast. Go check it out. As for Axe of the Blood God, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot not katie is at you may katie y-u-m-e-c-a-t-y and eric I mean, your handle is s-e-a-m-o-o-s-i is that right c moosey yep where did c moosey come from uh so when i was in seventh grade uh <laughs> we were wait a minute a good start. Yeah. when i was in seventh grade uh, so we, a friend and I were having a discussion about how there are like different multiples of things, but we didn't know what the one for moose was. And we were arguing about whether it was like moosen and stuff like that. And someone said moose like octopi or cacti. And so later that day, for some reason, we were learning about biology or something. And they brought up that... Uh, I forgot which animal is it that's called the, the sea moose, like the moose of the sea. But then my friend leaned over. He's like, yo pack of sea moose and i was like that's great and and like three weeks later i was making an account for a dead mmo called shattered galaxy and i was like i need a name i don't know what name i should use so i used sea moose and that was how i pronounced it for a long time but people just say sea moosey and i kind of like how that sounds and it's it's just stuck ever since if you see a sea moosey online i'm the only one i've never met anyone else who uses it Everybody 35 and younger probably has at least one embarrassing internet handle story. Oh, I have so many. So many. Also embarrassing? I am proud. <laughs> I'm proud of my Seamus handle. I never knew that. I, I imagine that you never knew that it would one day be a professional Twitter account that you would actually be tweeting from for your job. 
Yeah, no, when I made Twitter, like I specifically remember the first tweet I made was so excited to see hashtag no strings attached this weekend. So that like set the tone for what I thought my Twitter was going to be versus what it is. I mean, what it is now is also just a bunch of like bad posts. My pinned tweet is the one time Hideo Kojima retweeted a gif I made of Fraggle Rock inside Norman Reedus's esophagus. So like, I don't know. I'm not looking for quality. I'm just here for fun. My first tweet was <laughs> blaming somebody for dragging me onto the platform. And honestly, I'm still mad. Yeah. So yeah. you guess at that tone. Early. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, anyway, if you are enjoying the podcast, I recommend that you leave a review. It helps visibility of the show. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out every single week, courtesy of Nadia Oxford, which includes a little essay that you wouldn't get on the site from RPGs. It's a nice little way to continue to integrate and engage with the blood God. Okay. So, and finally, uh, a few notes on coverage for this week, uh, RPG related. Uh, there was a bunch of Pokemon stuff really revealed this week, including a wheezing with a fancy hat. You know, it's, it's just a giant smokestack wheezing and I'm yeah. really into it. Uh, it looks sick. Out of all of them, that was probably the coolest one because the other two Galarian versions of Pokemon were not that memorable. It's like a different color, right? Yeah, they're just like badgers or something. Yeah. 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 Wasn't wild about those. Yeah. I don't understand Game Freak's obsession with the third generation of Pokemon outside of maybe the fact that there's, I, I don't know, people who are in their 20s, I guess, kind of grew up with Ruby and Sapphire at this point. So there's a nostalgia aspect. Yeah, that was like my game. It's Ruby. See, I think Gold, Silver, and Red, Blue, like those are the nostalgic Pokemon for me. I kind of dropped off after that and didn't jump back on until like, I'd say like Black, White, I dabbled in and then Sun, Moon. But like, uh, yeah, no, Gold, Silver, Red, Blue. So I'm surprised to see a lot of these Ruby, Sapphire Pokemon. At a certain point, Game Freak just picked Blaziken as the <laughs> the default fighting fire type. Um, and poor Infernate, my guy ended up being lost to history. So, and Embor is even more forgotten. So <laughs> that's what happens when you make three fighting fire starting starters in a row. But also there are polka jobs, which I have no idea what that is, but it sounds really depressing. <laughs> the gig economy. Yeah. Finally. Came. For Pokemon. Yep. It's, it's kind of like uh, in Assassin's Creed brotherhood, how you could send assassins out to do things. And then they come back and be like, Hey, I, I did it, or hey, I'm, I am I still suck. Like That's kind of what this is, only you do it with Pokemon who are in your box. So it, it's like their way, I guess, of like trying to get you to use your box and get experience for those Pokemon, but in like a very Nintendo way. Yeah, I feel like when I, when I have Pokemon not in my party, when they're stored, I don't care about them, you know? It's like, they're not in my party for a reason. Why am I going to be sending them on tasks? Like... Why? I just want a cool little ranch where I can put all my Pokemon and occasionally come over and say hi to them and, you know, give them some food and such rather than forcing them to drive Ubers or something like that. <laughs> doing Postmates orders. <laughs> uh, a couple of release dates that are coming out. Uh, Grandia HD collection is next week. Uh, I've heard mixed things about what people have seen about that, that the technology isn't super great. I'm not particularly interested in the Grandia HD collection because I beat Grandia 2 a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah, yep, I finished that game. Uh, it's always been kind of a, a second tier series to me outside of the battle system. 
Uh, maybe we'll discuss that a little bit uh, next week when Nadia comes back. Um, and also Indivisible, which is a game that I'm much more interested in coming out in October. Uh, are you guys familiar with Indivisible? Yeah. I'm excited for that. I love Skullgirls. It's like the only fighting game I've ever like really clicked with besides like early Mortal Kombat. Like, Skullgirls is very you, Katie. Mm-hmm. So good. It's so good. Mariel Cartwright's art is incredible. Um, she's like the lead animator. I think she's like the art director on Indivisible too. But man, the, those animations are like perfect. And I think it has like one of the best fighting game tutorials where it's not just teaching you how to do combos and like move and, you know, f- play the game. It's, I felt like I learned more about how fighting games work overall. Yes, yeah. You know, which is, I think, very important because I feel like so many fighting games I've tried, it's just like the tutorial teaches you the basics, but nothing beyond that. It's like, and then you can dig in the menu f- to learn all these combos. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And Skullgirls is like really good at like proactively mm-hmm. teaching you how all that stuff works. Um, and I think that's why I clicked with it. It's like an unspoken thing that like Skullgirls was a wake up call to the fighting game community to like, or at least fighting game developers to up their tutorial game because you like Skullgirls came out and everyone was lauding it. And pretty soon now like Mortal Kombat has an incredible tutorial and a lot of anime fighters, like a lot of Arc System Works games have incredible tutorials and Unist has an incredible tutorial. So it was like really big in that respect. And to have that same dev come over and be like, okay, let's take what we did with Skullgirls, that great art, some of the fighting game sensibility, and then like combine it with Valkyrie profile, which is never talked about. And it's so good. And that's, it, it just looks incredible. This is something I'm really, really excited for. Well, people who've listened to this podcast know that Valkyrie Profile is one of my two or three favorite RPGs of all time. So I'm genuinely excited to see the incredible art of the developers of Skullgirl mixed with one of my favorite games ever. Though I got to say the Valkyrie Profile battle system was actually kind of its weak point. (laughs) So we'll see if they can uh, dramatically improve on it. Okay, let's continue on to the main topic this week. We are talking about romances in RPGs. And the reason we're discussing this topic, as I already mentioned, is it's relevant because of Fire Emblem and because we haven't talked about it. And of course, it's a big part of both Western and Japanese RPGs for a long time now. And I mean, romances go back a very long way, at least as far back as the original Baldur's Gate. Uh, There are also examples of it in Ultima. There are examples of it in SSI Goldbox games. Uh, One way or or another, romances were already kind of starting to find their way into the genre. Of course, uh, Katie pointed out that there were games like Final Fantasy VI definitely had a romantic component, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. But we're not going to talk about those as much because we're more interested in the interactive component of romances. So what I'm going to ask you guys to start is, what are some memorable RPG romances to you guys? The first thing that comes to my mind is Yennefer in Mm. Witcher 3. I think maybe because it's like pretty recent. uh, Or relatively recent, I guess. Uh, But, you know, like the Witcher 3's romances, it's like there's people you can hook up with. You can go to a brothel. There's like a lot to do in the rom- like the fling department. But also you can like pursue an actual romance with Triss or Yennefer or both. And then they both break up with you in the end. But uh, 
they I feel like those I didn't I, I romanced Yana first, so obviously I'm more siding with her, but her romance is like there's like a whole arc to it, you know? It's not just like you make a choice and all of a sudden you guys are together. Like it feels like this slow progression into being a couple couple. Um and I'm sure Triss's arc is the same way. And that's like probably the most memorable, like immediately off the bat for me. Yeah. We were talking about this on the top 25 RPG episode where I admitted that I, I went with Triss ultimately. And I felt like that was kind of a, a good choice, though the game never really made, lets you forget uh, that you kind of spurn one or the other. Yeah. 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 It, it definitely does that with like yet or Triss and like, when she like shows up again, there's like just like this cold vibe around, you know. It's like it's 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 really good at making you feel that choice. Um, and I I actually never watched on YouTube like what is like when they because I know they break up with you if you date both of them because they obviously don't want you cheating, um, but cheating with other random girls is all right. I and they'll guess. leave you tied to the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's it's weird how that works in The Witcher because there's kind of like stratified tiers of romance. You have like the brothels and things like that. And they're kind of like one-off side quest flings. And then you have uh, Triss and Yennefer who are like the, I guess you can call them canonical ending romances. Mm-hmm. And then you also have ones that come in through the DLC. Um, I forget her name, the medic in Hearts of Stone. That was also in the first oh, Witcher yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she comes in as well as uh, one of the characters in uh, Blood and Wine. And those are kind of like more evolved, but they're really contained to the DLC and end up not affecting the ending that you get. And so it it can feel kind of weird, but I actually like that contrast because it kind of gives you a sense of who Geralt is as a person and like gives a little bit more weight to the romances that you're having with Yennefer and Triss and not just like wait in that you're engaging with them over time rather than having a one-time fling, but also that the fact that he is dedicating himself to this person actually does mean a lot more than these other things do. So it, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think Witcher three has like some really cool romance options just because it's, it, it doesn't really treat it like, Hey, this is the the option you chose on a menu, which is kind of the thing that fire emblem does. And is, is really weird. How about you, Eric? What do you consider a kind of a memorable romance from RPG history? Oh, I mean, I I don't want to stay completely on brand and just go back to Mass Effect. Uh, going back through those games recently, uh, it's it's been really interesting to kind of examine how they do romance in their games. I've definitely found that there were some that I don't see talked about very often because you have Liara, you have uh, the main uh, human companions from the first game, either Ashley or Caden, you have Tali and Garrus, but even ones that are introduced late in the game, like Trainer and Cortez are really interesting. Uh, But for me, I always come back to Dragon Age Inquisition nowadays because I feel that that game did a really good job of not just having romance options, but having ones that felt very definable uh and and this sounds weird but the first time i played that game i played a male mage and i was super into the the elven archer and i was trying to romance her and stuff and at some point she was just like hey look i'm not interested i'm not wasn't she the weird one yeah no i'm sorry i have a type but she was a little bit of a shut-in right (laughs) or was that from dragon age 2 I uh, know the Elven girl uh, in Dragon Age Two was a bit of a shut-in. Uh, that's that was own. the one. That was the one that I yeah. ended up dating. 
Yeah. Yeah. She's great. And also like, I think she's a really, really good um, example of, of Bioware doing some great romance writing. Uh, But I'm trying to remember that Sarah, Sarah's her name uh, in Dragon Age Inquisition. That was like, for me, I was like, wait, what do you mean? I can't romance you. Like I'm, I'm playing the character that Bioware loves. Why, why can't I romance you? She's only into girls. And that was cool. I was like, whoa so like the characters in this game aren't just like you know it's it's whatever as long as you play like the male protagonist you can romance whoever you want and like having that made me enjoy the way that they handled romance in that game and enjoy that game like arguably more than most of bioware's stuff because it just felt so much more defined and written and i think that's the thing i'm feeling with a lot of games that are doing romance nowadays is it constantly feels like it's trying to either cater to all or it ends up just catering to one specific subset. And I really like it when a game gives you options and also isn't afraid to be like, nah, dude, I'm not into you. Like, sorry, you spent all this time trying to romance me, but no, <laughs> like that's really interesting. I ended up with the, the gray warden guy. Uh, it was, he was a very boring relationship ultimately. And I have no idea why I, I should have just stated iron bowl. Yeah. All uh, he's a guy. <laughs> he's great. All of his scenes are especially the romance scenes are some of the best in that game. It's he's really, really good. I, so, I mean, probably the Ur example of dating or romantic games in RPGs is probably like the persona series. And I still haven't forgotten myself for breaking Chie's heart because I had been dating her for, I had been kind of working on building up my relationship with her for quite a while. I ultimately decided to start dating her once I got her to the to the top level of our supports. And then Naoto came along and I was like, no, Naoto, you're much more my type. And I started going out with Naoto. And uh, yeah, Chie took it real hard uh, when it came time to uh, choose who I was going to spend uh, time with. Like that, that game really punished me and i was like dang man i made her cry i i I, terrible person terrible terrible person um katie you wrote yukari in persona 3 i love yukari in persona 3 uh also god i can't it's not masato misuru yeah misuru i was like masato is like from evangelion it's like the wrong yeah uh it's like really hard to romance in that game and i like I've played Persona Three twice, or like more like two and a half times, uh, but you have to like max out like everything mm-hmm. just to like pretty much start pursuing her, um, which sucks because I feel like she was like the person I would want to romance in that game, but she's like so hard to get in the door with. Uh, but Yukari's like one of your first party member, or she is like in your first party, uh, and she's like kind of the canon pick. I feel like for the romance in that game, it kind of. But like story wise in Persona Three, it really feels like Yukari is the canon pick, and also uh, I'm like so blanking the robot girl, and I cannot remember her name either. I'm having tor- terrible. I, I like, guess Aegis. 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 I guess. Aegis. I I feel like every Persona game, or at least three onward, has had like two canon picks for the romance. In Persona Three, it's Yukari and Aegis. Aegis, whatever. And four, it's Rize and the annoying girl with the, that runs the bathhouse or whatever. And then five is on and the uh, the super uppity girl. <laughs> I'm like, so 
thinking on names. Uh, but yeah, and I think which I think is really interesting. So it's like technically persona, you could date any any girl, um, or in, if you're portable, any guy. Uh, and I think it's really interesting uh, that usually the narrative kind of like denotes like these are the people you really should pursue because they like enrich the storytelling of the game and they enrich the themes or whatever. Um, but I really love Yukari in Persona 3. I don't have a reason for it. I just think she's like really sweet and she has like a really good storyline and it's like really sad, but it's like nice to see her like come to terms with like, I think it's like her mom died or something. It's like really dark uh, as Persona 3 is. It's like so dark, but it feels like RPG romances over the years have kind of fallen into kind of a pattern, I suppose. And I think that you can point out uh, like various tropes. Often um, they'll, they're usually accomplished by, for example, giving gifts or undertaking certain quests or just talking to people over and over and again until they decide that they've fallen in love with you. Um, Often they end up having some kind of gameplay benefit. They change the ending in some way. Um, everybody, every game kind of has a different approach to it. I, Three Houses was a little weird in that, I mean, you could give like gifts and everything and talk to people and build up your supports by fighting alongside them. But it didn't really build up the actual romantic component of the game until the very end where suddenly it was like, well, time to choose your your partner, and now they're in love with you. <laughs> it's it's bizarre the way that that Fire Emblem does it because, like we've already mentioned too, it's they have to intentionally delay the the romance of that game for as long as they can because otherwise you're like a professor creeping on students, and that's weird. So. Uh, I think that might have affected a bit of the writing. I noticed when I was playing that it, it kind of gates your your supports up to a certain point and you can't get them until after the time skip for some of them. And that ends up making some of the relationship developments there feel kind of stilted because like I had Leone and Marianne up to, I think, B support before the time skip and then all of a sudden the second the time skip happens i'm like okay a right away like they're just ready to talk and it that kind of affected it but as you also mentioned it's it's not like romance per se it's almost like you're kind of committing to someone but it's not romance in the same way that i talk about like persona because persona you still kind of talk to them after the romance you spend time with them you can hang out with them on your free days here, it's just like you have your support conversations and then you kind of make a choice at the end of the game. Well, the idea is that slowly but surely you're building up your relationship. It's just, it doesn't have much of an arc to it. Yeah. And I suppose that's one of the elements that maybe makes a good RPG romance. It's the sense that there is an arc to this relationship where you're slowly but surely uh, not only getting to know them, but they are growing as a character along with you. And I feel like Fire Emblem Three Houses doesn't accomplish that necessarily. Like you don't get a sense of the character actually growing. Definitely, definitely. And like the, I don't think it helps that Byleth is a silent protagonist for the most part. You don't really have a lot of dialogue (laughs) interchange. Even like every once in a while you get like a conversation prompt and that kind of helps. But really it's more, I, I almost want to compare it to like Metro, like Metro Exodus where a character is just kind of talking at you and you're not really responding very much. And 
it ended up making me like the characters a lot, but I don't have any specific feelings about Byleth. And a lot of the memes and stuff around Fire Emblem Three Houses are really pointing out how Byleth is just this, they're very supportive and they love all the people, but they're very silent. They don't say anything in like any of the mean comics or anything. Byleth never talks. And I think that ends up affecting it compared to games like, you know, Persona also silent protagonist, but I feel like you have more interaction there. And, and games like, you know, the Bioware games, have those actual dialogue things where you're making choices, you're responding to people, it feels much more natural. And so the relationship feels more involved than just kind of someone talking at you. Well, in Persona, you can almost imagine them being interesting because you'll see the little emojis uh, appearing, like mm-hmm. the little sweat drop, or you'll see them having a good time doing an activity with somebody. And you can kind of fill in the blanks yourself. Whereas in Fire Emblem Three Houses, Byleth has maybe exactly three interactions uh, with a character. Either they kind of extend their hand out, or they kind of wiggle their shoulders and their head when they're saying no, or they're nodding. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, wow, you're so amazing, Byleth. Wow, I just want to fo- follow you forever. And you're like, okay, whatever. That, that's one of the problems with romances, right? Uh, when you get into, especially with games like Persona 4, where the, they often say that a Mary Sue character, and this is an overused term, I should add, but they often say that a Mary Sue character, the definition of it is somebody who effectively bends the the contours of the universe around them. So characters just, even if they shouldn't necessarily fall in love with them, just automatically fall in love with them, even if there's no particularly good reason to do so. And you never get a sense of the main character in Persona 4 being all that interesting because they are a silent protagonist, but yeah, everybody like is totally in love with them. You like literally everybody. <laughs> I feel like of all the person or like the, at least the later three, like I guess when we're talking about all of persona, when we're talking about the Hoshino directed ones, but I feel like three and five's protagonists, like they're silent protagonists, but I feel like they have more personality and like their responses, like persona five's protagonist is really snarky and threes is like very dry and like emo. Uh, whereas, like, I I think because 4 is, like, my least favorite, like, I don't remember much about that guy at all. Like, he was, like, pretty, like, much of, like, Slate. And he still has, like, the personality probably in his responses. But of 3 and 5s, like, he probably has, like, the least defined personality for a silent protagonist, which is, like, maybe hurts it. What do you think makes a good RPG romance, Katie? Uh, I mean, obviously good writing. I feel like good writing. And also, like, I like feeling like it's not just like a button prompt you know like you know i'm not just hitting like yes we're gonna bang now or whatever like i I like how it's like i like when it feels like i'm actually building a romance with this person and getting like we're like falling in love at like a natural pace or whatever like in real life uh type thing uh which is why i like the persona games persona games also fall in line with the there's definitely a button prompt that's like you're either in a relationship or you're not but I feel like the the whole social link uh, process feels more natural and it feels like more like, oh, you're kind of like going on dates and you're kind of like you're buying them presents and giving them gifts and like learning more about them along the way. Uh, whereas like with like Fire Emblem uh, from what I played of Fates, I think it was, it was you're kind of doing that, but you're not like I feel like I wasn't like interested in the character. So I wasn't like learning about anyone. It was more like. Uh, I should probably romance this person because it might be like good for 
my supports <laughs> in whatever my stats. Like it's more like it's purely like mathematics that I'm like considering a relationship. Whereas I feel like a good RPG relationship does that, but also gives me some like storytelling payoff. Like I feel like more it enriches the story or whatever. And it often feels like in Fire Emblem, and this goes back a long way, that they're mostly the support conversations are mostly vignettes. Like in the original Fire Emblem for GBA that came out here, Blazing Sword, you would just be standing next to them for a while and then you would get the option to have a little conversation. You get a little vignette, uh, almost like uh, one of the Tales games, which I know you're a big fan of the Tales series, Eric. Um, Finally, it got brought up. <laughs> <laughs> and and then suddenly, and you don't see like a, any ro- romance really growing between them. It's just that at the end, you'll get a little special epilogue and be like, oh, it turns out that these characters were in love and they ended up falling, uh, ended up getting married and they lived happily ever after the end, right? So it that's kind of been the Fire Emblem tradition for a very long time now. So in that respect, um, Fire Emblem Three Houses is going back to that kind of setup. And I'm kind of fine with that, honestly. Not the least because in Awakening and Fates, they shoehorned in uh, the whole having kids thing, but they're like in another dimension. Yeah, Awakening at least made sense because the whole setup was... Spoilers for people who have not played Awakening. Um, It's a time skip, right? Well, not even a time skip that there are you are essentially bringing people from the future back to the past to change things. It's like Avengers Endgame, essentially spoilers for Avengers Endgame. <laughs> and Chuck. so that like worked well because it felt like it naturally fit with the story and they did some clever things with, you know, having the whole, wait, you're my kid and, and with who, what? And that was that was kind of fun in a way, but at the same time, Fate's, Fates as a game, as a Fire Emblem game, felt like it looked at Awakening and saw the dial set to like seven and cranked it up to 14 because <laughs> it it just did more of everything that Awakening did without really understanding why Awakening caught so many people's eye in the first place, I think. And, and I think the kids stuff was one of the most blatant examples of that because, yeah, it was like, hey, here's a pocket dimension where your kids are. Go recruit them and bring them into the war. That's a totally normal thing that's happening now. And if you romance somebody, you can bring them back to your place and rub their face and stuff like that. It's <laughs> Obviously, that did not make it to America. But uh, it's it, Three Houses feels like a return to Fire Emblem but really more like a step back of a lot of the things where fates really just went way too far. I, my favorite kind of romances in a game and or in an RPG are the ones where, and this gets back to Witcher where they establish the relationship relatively early on. Um, you get a strong sense that Geralt has a lot of history with Triss and Yennefer. So there's not a lot of development that needs to be done necessarily. And then once they're in a relationship, that's not the end. They, The game keeps going from there. And honestly, I also f- always felt like that was one of the biggest reasons that Mass Effect worked for me, was that it didn't end with the characters, you know, having sex and then just moving on. In Mass Effect 2, if you were, for example, dating Liara, that story would continue. Um, relationships that you had in Mass Effect 2 would continue on to Mass Effect 3. Um Eric, did, did you feel like the 
relationships had a kind of a satisfying conclusion in Mass Effect 3? It depends on which relationship you had, because some of them are very good. Uh, like Liara is the obvious example. Tally also a very obvious example because she's also just a fan favorite. Everybody who plays Mass Effect loves Tally. Same with Garrus. Uh, those all have very satisfying conclusions. A lot of the other ones, like side characters from Mass Effect Two, um, characters like uh, Miranda, have very kind of I'd say deflating endings that they almost tried to rectify with the Citadel DLC that they went back and were like okay you know like you romance Thane and boy things happen in Mass Effect 3 so we should probably put something in here for the people who romance Thane and want some sort of like satisfying conclusion to that and in some ways it felt like it went too many directions and up until 3 I would actually say they fell into the trap of uh, using relationships as accolades or achievements or trophies, because I think it was in Mass Effect 2, they even had a trophy that you got that was like Paramore. It was like, you consummated your relationship. And I was like, that's gross. <laughs> Don't give me an Xbox trophy for that. <laughs> um, it's really weird to have like this, you know, emotional conversation and intimate moment that fades to black. And then all of a sudden it's like, Bonk. <laughs> in the corner you get like 50 gamer points um but i i do think it did stuff well i think where mass effect missed the mark was just in some of the writing of the characters like one that always sticks out to me is that jack is canonically bi but is only romanceable by a male shepherd for some reason and uh other characters just have very strange writing around them that and so, like, it didn't really have a lot of varied romance options until Mass Effect 3. And so I I was going back through this, I'd always played as male Shep. And this time was the first time I played as female Shep. And it, it's really eye-opening to see, like, how different the options are, but also how different all the romances are. Because I feel like the Liara one is especially better as female shepherd compared to male shepherd. And like trainer is a great romance option, even though she's only in one game. So it's uh, like all things with mass effect. It's really good, but it's messy. The, the canon relationship as it were, where the game obviously wants you to go in a certain direction, but ultimately oh yeah, like in dragon quest five, uh, Bianca is the, the canon relationship. And it, the story seems kind of vaguely confused if you decide to go with one of the other options but at the same time you can if you want and then you end up uh i can't believe i haven't even mentioned dragon coast 5 yet and then you end up raising a family and everything and having kids and it's actually pretty cool um in dragon age 2 also there's the big time skip uh as you're heading into the second chapter and by that point, whoever you started dating in chapter one, you've moved into a house with them. Yes, I like that. That's good. That's like one of the things that bugs me most in video game romances is they always feel like that accolade. Like it's this end of game thing. Like you've selected an ending that is now the the thing that you have chosen. And so the idea that like you can have an ongoing relationship and have it develop, even break up with them and start going out with somebody else is really cool. I thought Dragon Age 2 did that really well. Dragon Age 2 does not give, it doesn't get the credit it deserves, okay? People were down on it. That is a quality video game. So yeah, Dragon Age 2 does not get the credit it deserves. It did relationships so, so well, and it did not deserve the treatment it got online from people. 
The original Dragon. Oh, okay. First of all, yes, it did. <laughs> because okay, the third act was things. really bad. For other things, the repeating cave room aside, you know, there are other things that that game did extremely well that people don't give it credit for nowadays that it deserves credit for. Fair enough. Uh, the original, it, I mean, it did relationships better than the original Dragon Age Origins, which would, it kind of treated romance as this the kind of leering thing where you're like, oh, well, you can get into a, a, a threesome and here's your lesbian character and it kind of all, whatever relationship you happen to be in culminates in the sex scene right before the big battle at the end of the game where also you make a big choice that theoretically is going to make a difference later in the games, but is also kind of dropped. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that was the Mass Effect formula. Like all the, all the things you just said also 100% applied to Mass Effect. And I think they were very much still in that realm of thinking. And it was Dragon Age 2 that really pulled that team out of its comfort zone and got them to think a little bit more about how they could do romance in some ways it did go a little bit far like i i feel like every uh companion you have in that game just endlessly flirts with you no matter how many times you turn them down so like everyone in my party was constantly trying to like hook up on the side and it was really weird like that but other than that it it did so much and you can see how that then turned into dragon age inquisition which again i think did romance exceptionally well so one thing i like uh, so we were kind of bagging on fire emblem earlier one thing i do like about it is that characters outside of the main the main character the main player actually have relationships or can have relationships yes yeah that's true you don't see that very often in rpgs it is it is weird because like you would think that the idea of having those relationships outside other characters is is important to give your own relationship a little bit of weight too and like that's that's fun in its own way like one of the appeals of awakening is definitely that you're not just pairing yourself up you're pairing everybody up and that's fun and that's it's fun to mess around with that so it's i think that's one thing that RPGs should really look at going forward is finding ways to not just have your character have romance, but also have people around you have ambient romances that then maybe you can affect. What if a dialogue choice you say makes somebody reconsider whether they want to keep going out with another member of your party? Like that's an interesting idea. I'd like to see that. Yeah. On the one hand, it's really hard. It's hard to be able to incorporate that into a game because it requires so much, you know, design and animation and writing and such. But it's on the other, it's kind of a storytelling trap to have the characters be static, uh, static outside of the main character, I suppose. And it's nice to have characters who are not always kind of central in the frame to also have rich inner lives and also be developing in kind of interesting ways. And maybe we don't see that as much as we should in video games. But in that respect, one of the things that I do like to see in romances um, in RPGs is a sense of kind of a consequence when you um, start dating somebody. Um, For example, I like um, in Baldur's Gate, if you uh, try to date everybody, and this is like kind of a common trope in a lot of RPGs, if you try to date everybody, um, uh, people will get mad and potentially will even leave your party. Yeah, there's a really good scene that you can unlock in Persona 5, I think, where if you tried to romance 
literally everyone in the game they will all show they up they all show up at day. the yeah and then they're just oh. like is it i think they all show up because you got them all presents or something it's yes. for valentine's day i believe and they're all just like f you and it's like a really funny cutscene. that's that's great i love stuff like that because i think it there's also like that completionist aspect because that's the thing that romances always have to run up against is that at some point it needs to be a gameplay mechanic Mm -hmm. and that has to be quantified in a way that romances often uh, don't want to be quantified. You know, they're not something that you think of as a mechanical thing in life, but it has to be turned into a gameplay mechanic that has ones and zeros tied to it. So just finding ways to like play with that system and mess around even like mess around with the player a little bit for being like, Oh, you wanted to romance everybody. Well, guess what? This is what would actually happen if you tried to be a Casanova over here. Like that's a fun way of doing things. Though there is an exception to that rule in fable. You can have a spouse in every single town. I heard that was on the back of the box. (laughs) (laughs) You can have like six wives. If you marry lady gray and five, if you choose not to see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the pitch, a wife in every town. That's that's how you spell <laughs> fable right there. <laughs> Being a total Casanova. Um I don't know. I like when I'm choosing if if it's like one of the, if it's an RPG where I'm choosing who the person should be, it usually takes me a while before I like decide, you know? Except for in Witcher 3 where I was like immediately like, yeah, Yennefer is gonna be my lady. But in like games like like a Mass Effect type or like a persona where it's like you have so many options, it's usually like I kinda like it's almost like I'm testing the waters, you know, I kind of like befriend everyone. I like go on like friendship outings with everyone slowly and I kind of like <laughs> get a feel in the story, like also who I like, you know, and then usually it's just like a snap decision. Like, okay, this is going to be my person. And I like never go back on that. Like I'm pretty, I guess like I go straight on like, and that's what sucks also because sometimes RPGs introduce characters late. So it's like they could introduce someone late that I end up wanting to date. But then I'm like, sorry, I already chose my person. I cannot be unfaithful. I have made my decision. How successful do you feel RPGs have been in incorporating like gay relationships? Not very. At least in the ones I've played, it's like non-existent almost. Uh, yeah, like I don't know. Like Fire Emblem's getting a lot of heat right now for its ones because I think as a guy, you can only romance two those two old dudes, right? Uh, like, those are not even actual romances because well, like, I know at least one of them ends with you marrying a commoner who I think is actually a woman. So that's kind of oh, weird. Oh, yeah. Weird. Uh, and then like you could technically end up with Edelgard, I think. Uh, but or in that, it's like there's like two other women. It's like not that. I don't know. It's just been and I, I I'm trying to remember of like an instance of like because I always play as a girl character when I can or if I'm a guy I'm usually romantic women just because I find the girl characters more interesting usually I don't know I just can't I can't remember like one instance of a gay relationship in a video in a RPG specifically that's like been good I mean Mass Effect 3 I think had a true gay male relationship right Eric yep Yep, uh, you had Caden, who was, uh, he's bisexual, he was not bisexual in first Mass Effect, but in Mass Effect 3, you can start a relationship with him, and you can also, there is one only gay male option uh, for Cortez. That's very, very good. Yeah, uh, though, as recently as a couple, like, Bioware has kind of an up-and-down track record, because they had same-sex relationships as early as the original Baldur's Gate. But you also had instances like Jade Empire, where you would have a same-sex romance, but 
the scene would actually cut to black because of censorship and hackers had to go back and restore yeah. the the original cutscene. <laughs> I, I never knew that Jade Empire had a hot coffee moment. That's good. <laughs> and Mass Effect Andromeda caught a lot of heat for its uh, for its gay male relationship. Gay male relationships seem to still be a little bit of a hot potato. Um to the point where Bioware actually apologized and updated it with a patch. <laughs> and then, of course, there was Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where you ostensibly have freedom to roleplay a character as gay, but then you end up marrying somebody and having a baby. That one makes me so mad, because that's... Okay, first, like, set aside, I know, like, use all your mental strength to set aside how bad that is from, like, just a, you can be anything except we're going to make you do this thing. But also, they intentionally wrote out the reason why you would need to have the descendants and the bloodlines. Like, they got rid of that reasoning. And also, this is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like, they have gone past like the the veil already there is no sense of realism anymore so if you need some weird bizarre story reason for there to be a descendant of this character i don't know like magic one just i don't be like i tapped you with the staff of the precursors and now a clone just pops out of thin air good job now we have a descendant like find some way to do that or just don't have that written into the story because that's a really bizarre thing to have for a game that, like you said, like up to that point, it was so good about just letting you play whatever character you wanted to be. Like my Cassandra was just messy and running all over Greece. And yeah, it, it was, it was a great game, but <laughs> it's, you can't just like play that bait and switch game. I think it ends up leaving a lot of people feeling short changed like they do right now with three houses and it, you end up walking away from it feeling like, well, I guess an attempt was made, but it feels like I said it earlier today, but with companies like Atlas, it feels like for every step forward in this respect, there's a cartwheel backwards because, oh, you know, Atlas is starting to engage with the idea of, uh, you know, like modern concepts and romance and having like interesting characters, but then also they're only, representation in persona five is this like super stereotyped gay couple that just follows Ryuji everywhere, harassing him. Like, come on, like make a little bit more effort. Yeah. Well, I think it just goes to show that choice can seem like a great idea in a video game. Um, but many games have advertised giving you a lot of choices and then discover just how hard that is to actually implement. Uh, Madden is a good example. <laughs> Um, Mass Effect infamously had a hard time bringing all of the choices together um, in Mass Effect 3. And uh, ultimately, the Assassin's Creed Odyssey folks um, apologized. I have to imagine that they kind of had an idea of how they were going to wrap the story up. And for some reason, they landed on that, but they weren't entirely sure how to cleanly wrap everything up with uh with all the choices in there um and when maybe they were not expecting the blowback that they ultimately got i will say for a second when you started that when you said madden i was like yeah madden doesn't have gay <laughs> romance options you're right <laughs> um yeah it's you know maybe they did end up with a story where they needed to write that but but like i said this is assassin's creed they really should have seen this coming because one of their talking points leading up was definitely yeah you can romance whoever you want like 
like there's romance in this game and it's super freewheeling and it's as deep or as shallow as you want it to be. And it took a very Witcher approach to it that I thought was great. And I thought it handled it very well. And then to just suddenly like just not stick that landing at the end. I, I don't know. Someone, I, I'm just surprised no one like caught that. I was like, Hey, maybe this is not going to go over well, or, or maybe they knew it wasn't going to go over well and they just had to suck it up and deal with it anyways. I don't know. So what do you think uh, romances can bring to an RPG? Because, or for me, it's always been an additional opportunity to kind of step into the shoes of my particular character. I know that I've said before that I wasn't really feeling Witcher 3 until Geralt, until I got into the point where I could choose whether or not to date Triss. And that was when I started to truly become invested in the character. Um, And it can also be a great way to showcase the passage of time, as it were, um, where you see the relationship starting to bud and then grow. And then eventually you have, um, you know, a, a partner and potentially a house, uh, potentially children, uh, like you do in Dragon Quest V. Or in the case of Skyrim, it can show kind of the the freedom that you might have, where you can end up getting married to quite a di- few different characters. I end up getting married to my, my werewolf girl friend, and we ended up buying a nice house in the heart of the, the Empire, and she would make nice home-cooked meals for me. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, I have reached the end of the story in Skyrim. And hey, I adopted a couple kids too. This is wonderful. <laughs> and it doesn't add much to the story, but it does give me a sense of being grounded in the world, as it were. So what do you think RPGs can kind of add to, um, or romances can add to an RPG, Eric? I I think you just really like hit it right there. Is It's this idea that if you look at the trajectory of RPGs, like the ones that we skipped over, uh, the romances in games like Final Fantasy and Lunar and things like that, they were all about, you know, you have a canonical romance between two characters and this is what's going on. And as we got further on, there was more customization and you began investing more in the protagonist. It was not this named character that you played as, it was your character that you played as. And that's what romance does at least for me is it gives me a reason to invest in my own character as much as I'm investing in the story of the game, because that ends up being a defining aspect of my playthrough as much as like what hair color I choose or what class I end up choosing. I think that's why a lot of people also like, like myself get very heated about these things because when you walk away from a game, not feeling like your investment was met halfway or you end up feeling like your investment was cheapened in some way uh at the last second that that hurts a little bit because that's what you end up walking away from the game with was like i spent all this time on this romance and getting really into this and now it's this sucks but the flip side is also true like i love mass effect but i don't know if i would love mass effect if it didn't have all the things that it did with like Liara and Lair of the Shadow Broker is one I think of a lot when it comes to romance and games. Like that is an extremely well-written piece of DLC that like is really, really good if you have romanced that character. It's like a reward for people who have romanced Liara. And it ends up just heightening the love that you have for the game because you feel that much more invested in what's going on and you feel like it's a, you're more a part of what's going on than just kind of this ambient bystander. Well, let's be honest. People get heated over... Our uh, romances and video games for the same reason that they get heated over 
uh, shipping characters in fiction or they oh, write yeah. fan fiction. Oh, yeah. Also, people are thirsty and <laughs> they're, they're going to want to argue about which characters are getting naked with one another. <laughs> so, yep, yep. Katie, do you have anything to add? Uh, Eric kind of hit the point that I wanted to hit, which is I feel like it just helps me invest, like feel really invested in RPG. Like my favorite thing about like big long RPGs is that it's like a hundred something hours of your life or whatever. And then when you're done, you're like, ah, that was like a good, a good time. That was like, in that time, my life is like over or you can replay it if you're crazy or whatever. Like I am sometimes, but you know, it's like you, it feel, it makes it feel more, more than just like I'm, min maxing my characters or whatever and like more than just i'm making the points go up it's like and more than just like enjoying the story too you know it's more than rpgs are more than just numbers but uh i feel like with a good romance like a good well-written romance and also one that feels not just like you're not getting any like gameplay function out of it like it has to have both i feel like that's kind of like i'm also markers like i want to feel like by pursuing this character, I am improving my character in some way as well, uh, which is how romance works. You know, it's like you're bettering yourself. And I think a good RPG romance also is about bettering your player character. Yeah. When I finish an RPG, I feel like the, the best romances are the ones where I feel like I've been kind of on a journey with this autonomous character who's been growing and changing alongside my character. And their relationship feels like a natural outgrowth of the choices that I have made. Uh, they will react positively or negatively to whatever I decided to ultimately do. They have relationships outside of me, like uh, in Witcher 3, Triss and Yennefer are kind of best friends, but also rivals in a lot of respects, which kind of adds a, a deepened dimension to um, their relationship with Geralt. And then at the end of the game, I feel like they're kind of riding into the sunset. And I'm like, oh, well, what a great story. And I, I feel like super satisfied with that. Um, I mean, I already mentioned Dragon Quest V. That's, that's like another great example of a game where the story kind of, or the relationship organically kind of grows and develops over the course of the entire RPG. And I think people really care about that not just because they're thirsty or because they're arguing about fan fiction and such but but because they get really invested in these relationships and invested in the characters and they and they want to see it end well i suppose okay that's our discussion of romances in rpgs thank you to katie and eric for coming on the podcast to talk about them on relatively short notice and filling in for nadia if you have any favorite examples of romances and RPGs that you want to share, why don't you send me a DM on Twitter? I'm at the underscore catbot or send an email to cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Eric, I'm glad that we could finally get you on the podcast. It's um, You've been here for a few months now. Uh, you really like the Tales series and Mass Effect and all that. So let's get you on some more. Yeah, no, I, I was happy to come on after my, my short little intro when I joined and I, I'm eager for this next year because it's going to be a new Tales game and I can't wait to just really geek out on that because I'm it's it's going to be great. Uh, I'm already able to tell you. It's, it's, it's looking good. God knows we need a Tales geek on the staff. <laughs> All right. Thank you again to Katie and Eric and we will be back again next week as usual. But until then, for the three of us, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>